Hey everyone, this is Stephanie from The Mission. This week we have another epic giveaway going on. We're giving away the Chili Pad Sleep Systems. So have you ever been too hot, too cold, getting into an epic battle with your spouse? I mean, I know Chad and I do that almost every night right now. I'm pulling on the covers, he's then getting hot, throws the covers on me, I throw them back on him and they end up on the floor. Anyways, it's a whole ordeal. I will spare you all the details. But with the Chili Pad Sleep System, it's been awesome because you put it, it's basically a mattress pad. You put some water in it and each side has its own remote. So Chad can make his side nice and cool. I can make my side nice and warm, turn it off when we don't want it anymore. But it's a really nice way to get deep sleep and be able to control the temperature to exactly what you want and what you feel comfortable at. It's been game changing for Chad and I. So go to mission.org slash giveaway or click the link in the show notes and enter your email for a chance to win the Chili Pad Sleep Systems. We have a few of them to give away. So chances are good. Good luck. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you are listening to Mission Daily. Selected as Best of 2018 by Apple, Mission Daily is the number one podcast for accelerated learning. Hi there, and welcome to Mission Daily. Today we have Jennifer Dumpert, author and dream researcher whose book is titled Liminal Dreaming, Exploring Consciousness at the Edges of Sleep. We tend to think of consciousness and the waking world in black and white terms. One minute you're awake and the next you're asleep. But what if there was something in between? In today's episode, Jennifer breaks down the basics of liminal dreaming, the space where you are both dreaming and awake at the same time. She discusses how to begin experimenting with liminal dreaming to enhance your life and well-being and how the art of liminal dreaming has impacted her own life. Stay tuned for more from Jennifer Dumpert, author and dream researcher. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So before we were talking and you have a fascinating background, I had no idea you were connected to all these other amazing writers. Um, when I heard about your book, I was immediately interested, wanted to get you on the show for selfish reasons um, <laughs> because I've, I'm fascinated by this subject. So first of all, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. So you, your new book is called Liminal Dreaming. And what I was hoping to do is kind of have like a book club walkthrough with you about the book. So let's get started by talking about how did you create this book and uh, maybe why you decided to create it? So Liminal Dreaming, which is the space between awake and asleep, hypnagogia when you're falling asleep, and hypnopompia when you're waking up. Uh, so liminal dream states are some of the most unusual dream states. And in my experience, you know, so I've got, I've had a lot of background working with dreams, lucid dreams and onerogens, things that promote vivid dreams, different kinds of dream work. And a few years ago, I started getting really involved in liminal dreams. It started with an experience where I was lying in bed and I realized that basically my body had fallen asleep right? and my mind was still awake and I was having this dream and it had a little bit of narrative. It was kind of non-narrative. And um, that experience got me really interested. And I started exploring a little bit and realized that hypnagogia and hypnopomia, they're experiences that everyone has. We all go through them and they're super weird. Right. You know, really amazing. Um, like plane, plane shattering experiences yeah, where exactly, your, your, your you know, world changes after you. Yeah. 
Right, on the edge of experience. And it's one of those things where everybody has the experience and people don't really think about it, right? It's People think about it as a three-way. What happens as you're falling asleep? I'm trying to get to sleep or as you're waking up. But in fact, there's all of this amazing dream experience that happens in there, very different from REM dreams. Right. Non-narrative, usually without a subject object. It's just the experience. Right. That you vaguely remember. That you vaguely remember, but you can really open it up. And so over the years that I've been practicing liminal dreaming, I've gotten to the place where I can can pretty much go into hypnagogia at will Mm -hmm. and I can stretch the experience. I can stay in there for a couple hours and have these experiences of mind where I'm really seeing what's happening in my own imagination space. And what is that space like for you? How would you begin to English it or to put it into words? What, What are some of the first emotional words that come to mind for you about that experiencing that space? So there's a continuity of consciousness between awake and asleep. You can really stretch it out. You can be 80% awake and 20% dreaming or the opposite, you know, um, 20% dreaming, 80%. And in that space, there's so like waking and sleeping is not binary. We often think sure. of waking and sleep as awake, you know, as like on or off. One how or many zero. how many different stages, right? And how many different qualifications could there be? Like, I've stretched it out to four. Four, okay. So, and, and interestingly enough, some of the only work that's been done on hypnagogia is done by this guy Andreas Mavramidis, okay. who wrote a book in the 1980s called Hypnagogia, and he identified four stages of hypnagogia, starting with just points of light and then faces turning toward you and then like just particular scenes. Um, He's very specific about nature scenes and then starting to get into narrative dreams. But I've identified four. So I have one where I'm mostly awake Mm -hmm. and a little bit dreaming. And so, for example, I recently saw Carmen, the opera with my in-laws and the opera was, it wasn't a great production. So it was a little, a little dull. Sure. And so I was, I dipped into hypnagogia, but I was keeping track of what was happening. So every time the music changed, I would open my eyes to look at the super titles and then close my eyes and go back into the dream space. So I was awake did, enough. Did a narrative form around that? I'm curious. Or? Well, n- not so much because it was the, the dream spaces were just little, it was kind of like a free associative kaleidoscopic swirl of my own memory, Got imagination. It. So very non-narrative, just dipping into like skipping stone right. just below. Do you, do you feel like capturing dream. those images would be possible if you if you were hooked up to like an MRI or some type of like, you know, some something to track the electrical impulses? Could we visualize those images that you saw? Is that possible? I think so. I mean, yeah. you know, there's been a bunch of work. Supposedly, there are like a bunch of new advancements that would make that this Japanese company we're theoretically trying to kind of record like dreams. Possible. Yeah, yeah. But I actually have a <clears throat> I have a practice which is a modern version of automatic writing. So you know, automatic writing goes to, back to like you know John yep. D. You know, channeling what he's getting from Absolutely. Anokian angels. Yeah. And so what I do, so I have this automatic uh, writing exercise, and what I do is I sit back with a laptop. Mm-hmm. And I go into this very, very first stage of hypnagogia, and I can actually type when I'm in it. Right. And so I, I touch type what's happening in the dream. Hmm. So I've actually typed, I have hours of, you know, just kind of, and it's a lot, there's a lot of wordplay in it. Right. Um, but I'm awake enough that I can actually type. So do you write your books in this state or? I, it's, 
Or, Not, or are you exploring the, or like toying with that idea maybe? I'm writing, definitely I'm exploring with what to do with these, sure, with, spaces what, with and, these writings. I mean, they're sure. really interesting. I yeah. mean, and they go into, you know, the little sea creatures who are wiggling at the bottom of my, my field of perception. And then I can hear the guy sure. upstairs yelling, maybe it's a sport event. And then there's, you know, something with somebody whispers something in my ear. So it's right. hypnagogic space. And I can really translate what's happening in the space with the writing. Do you go back to those writings and try to create a narrative around them? Or do you try to like tease out the synchronicities that m- might appear? Or do you try to, do you try to ascribe meaning to them or, or no? I haven't yet. It's a pretty new practice. It's right. really only been in the last few months sure. that I've realized that I can touch type while I'm in hypnagogia. Okay. And it's it's pretty amazing. And then if I go another level down, I'm still I'm still more awake, but I'm also largely asleep. Sure. And in that I can actually um, use a voice activated recorder hmm. and talk through the experience. You know, so um, I've I've trained myself to be able to mumble. People in hypnagogia can talk. You can, I mean, if you know somebody who sleep talks in hypnagogia, you can actually have conversations with them. Hmm. And it was through that that I kind of got this idea of learning to mumble through both hypnagogia and hypnopomnia because voice activated recorder apps are only a few bucks. Sure. Yeah. You know, so you can actually set one and when you fall asleep, to kind of um, track everything. Exactly. Yeah. And it's also a great way to just when you're trying to um, remember your dreams. Right. And wake make, up. make sure you're, yeah. Because even sometimes reaching for the pen and the paper. Right. Just that act is enough to spur the memory. Yeah. Chases away the dream. But yeah. so if you just start mumbling into the voice activated recorder. Right. Um, and then there's like, you know, another layer deeper in when that starts to actually be dream stories, you know. Okay. And then at, there's a fi- the final layer in is actually when your body falls asleep, but mm-hmm. your mind stays awake. And those are people who use it for lucid dream experiences sure. and transition yeah. from hypnagogia. People who are always trying to stay conscious, like some people have that practice of always trying to maintain consciousness, like Ken Wilber famously was always maintain consciousness through right. all states, learning to maintain consciousness the moment that you fall asleep. Yeah. So this is all really, really fascinating. And there are a million questions that I want to ask. I'm trying to remember all of them, but <laughs> let's let's just step back to speculate about some applications for for this, for exploratory work. Are, are you comfortable making some like speculations about how this could be used in the field of, say, like psychology? For to, sure. Okay, oh, gosh, yeah. okay, let's dive into that then. Because what is the first idea that comes to mind when you're working with clients or maybe when you're designing a workshop for a group of people that want to explore this or maybe practice activating this state in their own lives? What's the why behind why they might want to do this? Because there's so many reasons. So I'm very, um, I'm very practical. Mm-hmm. I like to give people actual exercises. It's my hope that people will learn to go into this state and then take it away and actually do things with it. Sure. In fact, the- so much of therapy is just talk. Basically, it doesn't really. It could be so much more action oriented, right? Theori- I agree. Theoretically, yeah, yeah. It and so be okay. the book actually has an exercises workbook mm-hmm. at the back, and there's exercises sprinkled throughout it. One of them is a take on Jung's active imagination. Okay, and Jung felt that. Like learning to get in touch with the subconscious Mm -hmm. and just even see what's happening in your own subconscious was enough to bring about mental healing. And one of the things that's amazing about liminal dream states 
is that you're both and awake and just and really asleep. quick to add some context there. You just mean basically getting comfortable by surfacing it and looking at it. Do you mean? Yeah, exactly. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll give you okay. an active imagination gotcha. exercise. Okay, cool. Um, and one of the things about liminal dreaming is that you're both awake and asleep. Mm-hmm. So your rational thinking mind is still online. Right. Um, but you're also dreaming. You're dipping down into the intuitive sort of kaleidoscopic free associative dream space. Right. And so you can actually see what's happening in your own subconscious. And that gives you an enormous amount of opportunity to explore the mind. Mm -hmm. So Jung, after he had his really dramatic breakup with Freud and developed the, the Red Book and developed a lot of his own practices, was dealing with what he thought was kind of basically psychosis. And the way that- and you say traumatic, could, could you just explain the breakup for anyone that doesn't know what that was or why that was actually traumatic with him? Sure. So Jung and um, Freud, basically, who was very famous and changed our ideas sure. about what yeah. the consciousness is, right. uh, took Jung as his protege. Mm-hmm. In fact, he called him my son and the anointed one. Very famously on their first meeting, they talked for 13 hours straight. Wow. And so um, Freud was the mentor and right. you know, Jung was his student. And after a few years, they uh, they had a very dramatic breakup because they disagreed, for example, about how they should treat dreams, amongst other things. Right. And Freud wanted to basically like rule them out as like random noise or so, well, something. Well, or, or messages. That... And, okay, that gotcha. you always, and that's often about sex. And, right, you right. know, um, and, and so, Young was saying it was much more complicated than just repressed sexual urges, right? Exactly. He was saying it's way, way deeper than that. That's not, you're just scratching the surface. Right? Exactly. Gotcha. And this collective unconscious. Right. You can be, you know, you're from your own your own culture, your tribe. You can right. Be and some of it, you don't know where it's coming from. A right? lot of it's it. like the oversoul of humanity or something like, you know, Rupert Sheldrake talks about the morphogenetic field or like, you know, McKenna talks about different things that are like that. So how, yeah, how would you characterize those, the other? So what Jung did was he went down, he figured out these ways to go into the subconscious. And so the, an active imagination practice um, would be using liminal dream space and creativity to bring back what you learn. Sure. So he would go into like a hypnagogic space, a deep space. Right. So, some people have, he clearly used hypnagogia. He talks about it in Memories, Dreams, his autobiography. Mm-hmm. And um I got the name of that wrong. Dreams. Memories, dreams, and reflections. Is memories, dreams, show. reflections. Exactly. And so in Memories, Dreams, Reflections, he talks about using hypnagogia. And a lot of Jungian analysts since then have assumed that that's what he meant when he was talking about active imagination. So you would go uh, gotcha, into gotcha. a hypnagogia. That, that makes a lot of sense because, I, yeah, I call, when I, was re- I used to read about active imagination, I was like, this seems like... He's just trying to describe something different. I'm not quite there. I'm almost there. But it's yeah. hard to describe. Yeah, but yeah. he never described what he did. So yeah. basically, you're going into hypnagogia, right? And seeing what comes up in the subconscious, because your rational mind can observe what's going on in the subconscious, right? It brings back images or associations or memories or whatever. And then the idea is creativity is sort of the language of the subconscious, right? right? Okay. And so you use creativity to bring whatever it was that happened to you in the act, in, in the, the hypnagogic experience into the waking world. Gotcha. Okay. You paint or you work clay or tape yourself dancing, right. whatever it is. And, and keeping in mind that the creative process is the point, not the end point. 
right? It's not that you're not. It's not that you're trying to create something that you would put in an art gallery or whatever. It's just for the state. It's the process. Just the process. It, and so basically creativity is the way that you take what you learn from the subconscious into the waking world. Right. And Jung thought that that alone mm-hmm. was enough for mental balance. Hmm. You know, I mean, and, you know, the Sufis. And, and how so how much time was enough for mental balance? Because, I, I mean, I find that to be true in my own life when I don't write or have a free association in my journal where I know that what I'm writing is not being monitored. It's not being tracked. And like as silly as it sounds like this isn't anything like paranoid or grandiose, but it's just very calming knowing that no one else is observing these thoughts except for myself. And I feel like if I don't get that, I'm very irritable. I'm like not fun to be around. But if I do get that, life's great. So and that only takes like about 20 minutes each day. Yeah. What's your what's your take on that? Is that kind of like what he's talking about? Creativity and imagination. Have, right. People now think that that's just the realm of artists. Right. People who are being paid to sure, be sure. artists. Right? right. But the idea is that it's actually the process. Right. Gotcha. I mean, the yeah. visionary is for everybody. Right. It's, it, it's there if you want it. And if you want to choose that path, it's going to come with some some trade-offs. Probably. So, I mean, the Sifis thought imagination was actually the faculty of perception right. as much as seeing and hearing. Right. Because you were seeing a window into a world of, of possible outcomes, right? They, they could, who's to say if they, if they are real or not? And then you could start to assign probabilities to certain outcomes. And like, it's, it's very, it's very much like you have this array of choices kind of to, to create something. So, And the Sufis thought that because um, imagination was the only way that you could perceive the divine, mm-hmm. that's why it was the most important faculty of perception. Hmm. You know, and, and so, Einstein has talked about this, like, you know, exactly. he's, he's the cliche example of this. Yeah. Um, and what, so what, tell, tell your own story. Oh, no, just how imagination is everything. So simple quotes like that. And, you know, McKenna would talk about how imagination, we're going to live in the imagination. And like, I, I feel like that living in the imagination is, is what is this dream job that people don't know exists right now is that you can get paid money now to live in the imagination and tell other people about it, if that makes any sense. But there's this whole, and it's actually the most in-demand skill, I think, in Silicon Valley that nobody talks about. A lot of people talk about engineering, but the storytellers are what is increasingly being like, and they don't say it. So tech companies will never say this, but what they're actually looking for is like a much more like McKenna shaman type figure who's going to say, this is the future that's probably going to happen. We should start figuring out like how to storytell into this future or how to create it. So that's a random tangent. But uh, yeah, so a lot of what I talk about in the book is the idea of developing liminal mind. Okay. So and and what is that? So we again, it's there's there's the continuity, right? There's we think black, white. So vision is a great example. We think seeing is believing. Mm -hmm. But in fact, an enormous amount of vision is imagination. Right. We fill in. That's hard to quantify or measure. Exactly. I mean, we're, there's so much going on in the visual field that we have to use what we expect to happen, what we imagine will happen in order to sort out vision. To reduce the complexity. So to reduce the complexity. So understanding how much of one's own imagination or expectation is filtering experience is kind of the idea of liminal mind. And when you start to spend a lot of space in this realm between awake and asleep, Mm -hmm. and you start to see all these different ways that your mind is working, you start to see your own subconscious, you know, um, auto symbolic phenomena is the idea. It was, uh, idea comes from a guy named Herbert Silberer. Okay. And 
It's in the hypnagogic states. You can actually see your own thought process, except in the language of dream as image. And I'm, it's not interpretation. It's not a hidden meaning. It's yeah. a, an actual visual meaning. I can actually see my thought processes happening and I have enough rational mind to carry it away. So you're actually understanding your own mind huh. through this process of being able to observe, you know, the sort of the subconscious and the dream space. That's fascinating. Yeah, that's wild. So so what is the average person who hears that? What should they take away from this? What should they maybe experiment with like tonight? What should they do uh, if they want to become like proactive in, in exploring these these places? One of the great things about liminal dream is that everybody is a natural liminal dreamer. So mm-hmm. um, a lot of people have tried to work with lucid dreams. Mm-hmm. And it's actually pretty difficult to learn to consistently lucid dream unless you're a natural lucid dreamer. And it takes a lot of maintenance and it's not clear if that's actually beneficial for anybody, right? Like, or do you think there's any compelling evidence that shows it's a really important state? Or depend lucid dreaming. I mean, it depends on who you are. People have used it to many good ends, right? For PTSD, if somebody, you know, if someone dies and you haven't been able to have a good conversation, my if whenever I'm lucid dreaming, I immediately go for my childhood cat who I miss all the time, and I'm always really happy to see him. Oh, wow. you know, so yeah. that's yeah. Um, but everyone is a natural liminal dreamer. Mm-hmm. We all go through hypnagogia and hypnopomia, like you know, when you're falling asleep and your arm jerks, sure, or your a leg jerks, a hypnic jerk or a myoclonic jerk, that's when you know that you're in hypnagogia or as you're falling asleep and you have those visionary, hallucinatory kind of dream spaces, right. that's hypnagogia or when you're waking up, often you're coming out of REM when you're waking up and you, you have the, maybe I'm dreaming and maybe I'm sleeping. Yeah. And what you're advocating is basically that people just capture those memories however they can, whether it's through voice or writing or uh, movement or something like recording yourself. And even just even just being aware of the experience and going right. into it. And now that you've heard it, yeah, you'll have it. Right. I mean, right. that's the thing. Everyone does There's a it. bunch of research that shows you can actually like train yourself to lucid dream just by writing about it, just by remembering to wake up and start to journal, um, yeah. I, th- I think, right? Yeah. Like yeah. The, the and show, then liminal dreaming like, is even easier. Right. I because mean, people say- like, super easy. People say, okay, I uh, can't remember my dreams. I just never have. Well- you can if you want, like you can get off of caffeine, for instance. And like, that's uh, that's an easy fix where a lot of people don't realize that if they stopped consuming any type of ca- caffeine, sometimes that will spark a very vivid dream state. Um, if you use like cannabis or alcohol, if you stop using cannabis and alcohol for any extended period of time, you'll have incredibly vivid dreams. Um, these are all like things that I found to work. I'm not saying they work for everybody, but there's so many ways to stimulate this through diet and inputs, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, however, even if you're someone who uses cannabis, uh, sure, and or, we're not not knocking like but, any of this. But things. then lim- you can still will remember liminal dreams, right? So liminal dreaming re- plays well with others really well, so which is fascinating. Yeah. If you're because it doesn't require a uh, splitting headache to give up coffee yeah, for two exactly. days, so. or to give up what your cannabis right. is. Yeah. And now some people don't remember dreams because of their chronotypes. Right. Oh, wow. So circadian rhythms is, um, you know, we all are on 24 that's hour cycle. And yeah. if you have. Um, so maybe that's the first place to start is getting a, a handle on your chronotype. right? Exactly. Yeah. So if you're a lark chronotype, right. if you wake up in the morning and you wake up immediately and you're bing, you're right awake and you're ready to go. I mean, and you're the kind of per- like you're usually the first person who's sleepy at the end of the night. Yeah. Or you as soon as you start working and your freshest is when you're best. Right. Probably means you have a lark chronotype probably means you don't remember your dreams because you wake up too fast. Huh. But you'll remember 
liminal dreams. So if you're somebody who doesn't remember dreams at all, either because of uh, some sort of substance or because of your chronotype, then um, liminal dreaming is great for you. You can go in, you can learn to go in hypnagogia, you can learn to use nap space Mm -hmm. and have a whole world of dreams open up. I've had many people actually say to me, wow, I never remembered my dreams Mm -hmm. before I took your workshop. Yeah, I think that this is exciting because it's the first step towards giving people the power to personalize the media that they consume that is not through a filter. Because one of the things, the reason why we started this company is I'm just, I'm very concerned about the fact that we can't view nature and the real world without looking through some type of filter increasingly. And there are a lot of people that want to put, uh, you know, with AR, like I'm very excited and bullish about the future of AR. However, I think it could be the last thing that humanity creates because after we have a filter that's easily manipulatable by other people, that's going to be like the beginning of the end, essentially. So sorry for the paranoid tangent oh, and, no. and rant here, but, <laughs> I'm, but I'm, I'm definitely concerned about that. And I feel like we have to get in these places where we consider our own thoughts and ideas to be more important than any type of icon that we might see on TV or we can't, because McKenna would always talk about like, we can't cede power to icons as much as our own icon. So you want to be like, you want to create your own like road show or your own personalized media stream. So isn't that what you're kind of advocating? That yeah. Do? And one of the great things or practice and um, like, cause it's, it takes hard work, right. To, it, to well, actually build this. Yeah. It takes hard work. If, and if you want to really build a liminal dream practice, mm-hmm. that's as deep as mine, it takes a bunch of work, but to just get into it and dabble it and play with it using any, to use any one of these exercises, it's pretty easy. It doesn't right. actually take so you, much. You could do it in a, in a couple of days. You easy, could be like easy. up and running. You could, yeah. yeah, up and running and in I, a couple I think, days. I think this is really important too, because it's, it's important to have things that excite you about life and about, you need to remember that like, there are things about yourself that you haven't discovered yet that you could discover that might be better than you could have ever imagined. And like, I think that's really important to keep people inspired about something new. And this is like a space. It's like, it's a playful space where everybody talks about like having more play in business and like, well, here's a, here's a way where you can like play for, I guess like an hour a day, maybe like that, or like how much, how much time do you spend doing this? Me personally, yeah. I mean, I would say that you, 20 minutes a day yeah. is definitely going to be enough. And it's like recharging maybe it's, it's very I, much so. Yeah. Because like I, I found like meditation is just, I just don't, just don't enjoy it. Like it, it's not, there doesn't seem to be any type of purpose. Whereas like, I understand we want to like enjoy the process and everything. This sounds like there's much more. And you can use it as a form of mindfulness meditation right. because just very, seems more interesting. mindfulness meditation is very much about focusing on the now, the unfolding moment. Right. And when you're in liminal dream space, that's all there is, gotcha. is the unfolding moment. It's not like there's a self and other. That's not me moving through a world like there is in REM dreams. You're more watching something happen. It's right. All that's happening is the unfolding of the liminal dream space. So right. going into it is very much just the the moment, the now that's unfolding mm-hmm. and and often in parallel tracks huh. i can actually have i don't know if you've ever had the experience of having a dream running on more than one track at this point kind of like i so i've had things that like the that kind of feel like an inception not not exactly like that i'm not saying anything like that complex but things that just feel very like we we're talking earlier just like disturbing that's why you know when i first when i was 17 moved across the country i reached out to a, a psychologist and basically or psychiatrist whatever it was and it was just like, I'm having all these horrible dreams that are like, I wake up in them, I can't control them, uh, and I don't know what to do. So it's it's something that I think a lot of people, myself included, are just like kind of scared of, if that makes sense. Yeah. Too. So I've gotten to the place now where I can actually have 
four or five different liminal dreams running simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And each one has minute, and I describe that in the Yoga Nidra chapter, each one has like minute detail. Right. Like I can read the writing on the cover of the albums, you know, that are on the strip of lawn between the sidewalk and the road in front of my grandparents' house. And yet there's six worlds happening all at the same time. It's a very wow. wild, deeply psychedelic space. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. And so you were talking about the the kind of the paranoia mind space. Yes. And I yeah. I totally Which for business is very, very useful. I mean that's why I'm so fascinated. So sorry, go ahead. Absolutely. So yeah. I um uh, I, I have a little riff in here where I'm talking about cognitive liberty. One of the things about liminal that's, dream space really cool. yeah. is that it's unmapped territory right now. I don't know why nobody has talked about hypnagogia and hypnopompia very much so far because they're such amazing spaces, but there hasn't been. And there might be tools in there that we essentially don't know what we're looking for yet. And once we found these tools, it could be infinitely more productive. Yeah. yeah and there's no yeah. marketing there yet. Yeah. So that that's what's really interesting too, because McKenna would always talk. Do you remember he had this one uh, rant where he was just talking about how the mushroom told him that it had plans for a hyperlight yeah. star system, like yeah. starship basically. Yeah. And it, it was like, but I'm not going to give those up lightly. Like, here's what you have to do in order to get the plans. And there are like packs and offers like that that have been extended to humanity that might exist in in other spaces outside of the uh, psilocybin experience, for instance. So that's what I think is most exciting about this for me is like, what is in there? So what do you think is in there? Like if so you're free to speculate and there are these spaces where it's unmapped territory where you can get to the frontier very quickly what do you think is most exciting for people to get to the frontier? Like, what should they look for? Your own, what, you, what you're what you seeing is you're seeing an array of your own thoughts, memories, imaginings, mm-hmm. you know, both cultural and personally specific. Dreaming is the most common weird thing that happens. Every human that has ever existed, like now and past through history, has dreamed, has which probably, is crazy. Has probably been a bit mystified by it, right? Right. We all have these extraordinary experiences. And yet and maybe just catalyzing a sense of mystery is all that it's. And yet it's one of the most personal experiences there is. Right. And so you're really seeing what's happening inside your own mind. And the the worlds inside your mind are vaster than the worlds Completely. outside of you. Right. And, and it's, it's basically like an invitation to a personalized religious experience that you it, it, could, it could be could be as religious as you might want it to be. Or it, exactly. could be, it could be as intense as you wanted it to be, kind of. So mindfulness yeah. meditation for creativity practices, mm-hmm. Salvador Dali and Thomas Edison, independently of each other, came up with the same practice right. for using hypnagogia. And Edison used That's it to um, come up with a lot of his inventions yep. and Dali for a lot of his ideas for making art. Yeah. It's a very yeah. easy exercise. Just wait till you get into hypnagogia yep. and hold something that's going to wake you up when you pass from hypnagogia into waking world. They both held something over a metal plate. So as soon as they started to fall asleep, they'd drop it. But you can hold a handful of change or wow. a bell or just raise your arm. And as soon as you start to fall yeah. asleep, it'll drop. And then just whatever, like Edison would just start, he kept a sketch pad next to him and he just started writing down ideas. So this, so Christopher Nolan's Inception then, like, do you get a bunch of silly questions like the same? Does everybody bring up Inception when they talk to you? People or no? do, a lot of people do bring up Inception. What's but be- for good reason, it was a cool movie. I mean, what's like, what's the best joke? Like, did you consult with Christopher Nolan? Like, are there any, <laughs> are there any good jokes? I feel like I should, I should have came up with something on the spot. Um, that was a missed, missed opportunity. Um, 
But yeah, so have you have you ever talked to the Nolans or Chris? I Nolans? haven't. No. You should definitely set up a conversation. What if we set up a podcast? Love like, it. I'm down. I mean, because I I really so I feel very strongly that certain creatives inside our culture have layers of messages that they're trying to convey in movies like Inception, where I'm sure Christopher could talk about that for hours, right? Yeah. I also really wanted. But, oh, yeah. So sorry. That's just, uh, just no, a random cool. rant, but that would be so cool to have have you two like. I really uh, want to about democratize dreams. the visionary experience. Yeah, yeah, and give people permission to like play to play with it and figure out what it is, right? Exactly. Because right now it feels very uptight. Like you're not allowed to look at this place, or you're not allowed to bring it up and talk about it. Definitely not in social settings. I think like people talk about mental health, but it's in the language that they use about it is so constricting that it's like you can't really you're you're trying to like fit everybody into like a one size fits all approach but it's going to have to be like pretty weird right and we were talking earlier yeah. about um about the um sort of psychedelics in the tech world sure yeah and the, the way that it's, it's a major thing that nobody like you see the articles of course about like microdosing and things like that but you don't really hear the conversations that go on when people are know that they're not being recorded basically like people not saying a lot of people do this, but like a lot of people just change their tune. So so you can actually use liminal dreaming in the same way that you would use psychedelics. It's like the perfect sure. 15 minute trip dipped into hypnagogia. Like I was talking earlier about, you know, the experience running on six tracks at once or right. some of the things I see. I mean, are as powerful as psychedelic experiences. That's sort of, um. do you know the term an endogenous high? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So your definitely, own yeah. body produces some of the most amazing psychedelic experiences. Right, and you always want to prefer endogenous over ex- exogenous type. Oh man, so it's so tricky here, but endogenous substances and experiences that have been tested over long periods of time, let's just put it like that. And it falls into that category because like McKenna was a big advocate for always having like you know, you could trust psilocybin or cannabis because they had been around so long. Like it, we humans have been experimenting with them for what since the beginning. Yeah, probably. probably. I mean, most likely we could we could agree on that. So anytime that you have something like this, I think like the risk to reward is really important to get right. There's literally no risk here. Yeah, basically. exactly. It's Endogen- a, there's no there's no LD fifty because I feel like the the American mind has been accustomed to think that like everything's risky. Cannabis is a gateway drug and everything. So when they hear something like this. They think, oh, this is something that's risky, that, that could be risky to my mental state. I think that's probably the the number one mm. subconscious worry of the American public at large. And I'm ranting here. But what do you think? No. And, and I do get that question sometimes. Is right. this risky? And I, and the answer is really not. Yeah. I mean, sure, of course, anything can be risky. Delving into your own mind, you're, right. you're going to find the scary spots if you're... So talk to your healthcare professional or, you know, before you engage in any of this, right? Well, I mean, but but endogenous but also for something to, like liminal yeah. dreaming, you know, it's, it's a very natural part of sure. the mental process. And so that means it gives you the opportunity to have these psychedelic experiences without actually doing something that's illegal or without something that's that strong. Right. I like yeah. to talk about subtle allies, you know, things where you actually have to step forward and meet the experience as much. It's not going to overwhelm you. Right, right. You know, I mean, and you can stop. You can just, you can always just wake up or jar yourself out of the experience. Right. It's not like taking LSD where you're on the trip no matter what you, what you sure. want. Sure, which like you definitely, like obviously set and setting are important and you want to have somebody that has been in those spaces to perhaps like coach you and, and have a safe environment and everything. So this is something that you can explore by yourself where you can have like, you know, from inception, like a kick setup, for instance, where you could have something where it's like a timer or something to like automatically wake you from the state in case uh, you were afraid of sleep paralysis or something, right? Yeah. Like, although if you, if you are somebody who 
about 5% of the population regularly gets sleep paralysis. Okay. And one of the best ways to deal with it is to, and I actually have an exercise for bringing on sleep paralysis, is to bring it on yourself hmm. so that you're controlling it, is to take charge of the experience hmm. and bring on sleep paralysis consciously so that you can prepare for it and learn to go into the space, you know, befriend or at least learn to deal with any, right. you know, a nefarious presence that sure. might be there in the space. I'm not saying that's not frightening as hell. It is. Sure. Yeah. But it is the best way to deal with it. Right. And if you just start talking about it too, or considering that like, hey, this could happen or whatever, you're going to be at least prepared. So it's not going to be shocking or anything. What's a good set and setting for this? What's a good, um, how many different chronotypes are there? So what, what are some like game plans that we can lay out for people um, so, that want to like try this today? So, the, okay, so in terms of a game plan, if you want to try it today, the probably the easiest way, and hypnagogia is easier to find than hypnopompia because you have to have been asleep for a long time to mm -hmm. find hypnopompia, but everyone can find hypnagogia. Wait until you're sleepy. It's better to not do it when you're going to sleep at night if you want to remember it, but you can also just do it when you're going to sleep at night because you, at least you'll remember that you had the experience. Um, and here's a really easy exercise for finding hypnagogia. When you're sleepy, lie down on the couch, in your bed, wherever it is when you're sleepy and breathe really deeply. <sighs> exhale. Mm -hmm. And as you exhale, exhale out all of your waking energy and any tension that's in your body. Okay. And relax, soften your mind. Exhale your daily mind, your mm -hmm. thought processes and wait for whatever shows up. And it might be a little visual glimmer, it might be points of light, it might be a sound, it might even just be something that you're imagining. Hmm. Like you're realizing that your thought is just starting to drift a little bit like you're daydreaming. Right. And then let that come into your consciousness. Exhale again, exhale your waking energy out, exhale any mental worryings that you have, mm -hmm. anything, and let that animate the beginning of the hypnagogic dream and let there be a feedback loop. Keep breathing deeply and slowing down your own mind and body, loosening your mental grip and letting all of the energy that you're exhaling bring to life this hypnagogic dream. And then you'll just start to slide into the hypnagogic dream space. And you're really, it's really a balance between not falling asleep, giving yourself enough mental juice mm -hmm. to sort of like stay in the space, but not waking up. Huh. Um, and then learning to find that line. And you might it might be easier to find when you're falling asleep at night. Yeah. And then once you've and once you've learned to find it, you can always find it. That's really that's really really cool. So what's most exciting for you in your uh, professional and personal life now? So this is a question like I always like to ask guests what is waking you up in the morning and keeping you up late? Um, let's start with like the professional world and like the world of being uh, a writer and a creator. What's uh, what's most exciting there? I'm really seeing people get more interested in using these elements from the consciousness. So whether it's consciousness exploration purely for its own sake, mm -hmm. which I think is wonderful, or being able to go into one's own subconscious using methods like liminal dreaming right. for creativity 
and to problem work or solving to, play or, to work yeah. or to play that's exactly right it's yeah. like it's like finding new, the, new uses the resources for yeah. in one's own um subconscious and right. i think that's really exciting because we haven't developed a killer app for this yet and there might be who who knows what it is right there could be types of benefits that emerge after a year of training that wouldn't be outlandish to think that like after maybe like a year or two two years of training consistently in this practice maybe there's some pot of like gold at the end of the rainbow right like our minds are amazing right we don't we don't know what's there and it's probably i'm trying to think of like a pascal's wager type thing that we Mm. can structure around this but there's got to be something right like there's got to be something where it's like you might as well start to explore that because you were born with it and your biology is the result of like your biology is older than stars right again like back to what mckenna would always talk about is how old are we? Billions of years, maybe? Like, and I love your, I love your whether it's for work or for play, <laughs> right? Because, because that's nobody, really nope, true. Nobody knows, and I think too, it's entirely possible that we completely forgot how to play as a species. So, like yeah. another one of my favorite authors, Michael Crichton, would always talk about, mm. and our audio engineer always gives me a hard time because I bring up Crichton a lot. So. <laughs> Crichton and McKenna, he he complains about that, but I tell him he's just never read them, so he needs to read them, and then he would not complain. Um, but so Crichton is, he would always talk about the fact that. Is life getting better for anyone? Because in the Pleistocene era, I don't know if I'm saying it right. Whenever basically like humans were just getting started, supposedly there was about a 10 to 20 hour workday when humans were hunter gatherers. So the fact that we're working 50 hours or 60 hours a week, and in some cases people are working 100 hours, is that improvement? Right. Is that what we're here for? Like, I'm not sure. Yeah. And he wasn't either. And so what what's your thought on like a more radical topic like that? Like is is it getting worse for humans or? Well, you know, we I don't better? know if you know Steven Pinker's work and um, a little bit. Yeah. And, but and so the, he, like the decline in violence and everything. I just right. don't buy that argument because it seems like you've heard like Nassim's Taleb counterpoint where it's like the turkey is thinks that everything's going well until like the final day. Yeah. And just with like with <laughs> extinction, like extinction is ever present phenomena where like 99.9% of all species go extinct. Thus, we should be probably be pretty paranoid. Right. But also playful, but also. Well, it's, I mean, so, I mean, I, I have two different points of view on that. On one yeah. hand, I'm a woman. Right. So, I mean, my my lot is a lot better than it has been through a lot of time. That's, it was not pleasant for any anybody you know, in the past. I've got a lot yeah. more agency over my own right. life. And it was nightmarish up until like very recently, right? Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, on you, you definitely hand, make that. You, I think everybody, probably 99% of the audience would agree with that. That's been pretty hellish up until yeah. very recently. So. On the other hand, you know, is it hell in a handbasket? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, a little. It's pretty good, right? You know, I mean. It's, it's pretty good. You know, but, but, you know, but right now, I mean, do I, you know, do I think global warming is real? Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, do I, do I think that the, the incursion of commerce and capitalism into our imagination space? Right, right. How much of our. I find our, very disturbing. Yeah, same. And, and how much are we treating each other like products unconsciously and like that's the thing that worries me about i want to build a media company that's very successful but at the same time i want to make it as voluntary as possible if that makes sense and so there's always this balance of how voluntary is the interaction with the individual like are you occasionally letting them know that like go explore other options like if this isn't for you like go elsewhere don't don't stay here don't stay stagnant oh yeah so how do you think how do you think about those issues and like how bad is the propaganda problem is there a propaganda problem oh yeah yeah i mean i I have a weird i almost have that like you know like people i've known people who you know are like oh i bought a great house in like a developing neighborhood but it's very weird because you realize that you're the gentrifying force so one of the things about liminal dream space is right now 
because nobody has really talked about it so right. much yet, it's very like cognitive liberty. It's very it's free not open a space, space that's dominated by the what's it like a gerontocracy or what's the, the what's the word of like a society that's controlled and run by old people like yeah, in terms like stodgy like and it's not saying that's a bad system like or anything like that but it is saying that like those societies can stop being playful basically well and also there's no marketing in it yet so even so like even lucid dreaming or psychedelics like as those spaces have gotten more marketed you could potentially start advertising a thing you found there well and also people a a destination basically a destination that you could go to and then establish like branding over this destination like you could create like a shared space where it's like if you go to this corner and talk to like this self-transforming machine elf you will find this and then you like you could basically create like a map right mapping and so yeah. a lot of other spaces are pretty well mapped so even like lsd space if you had never taken lsd you could go online and you could read about it and you could say okay well probably it's going to take this long it's going to be a come on and this long for peak and this long is going to be you know and there's all of this like psychedelic art that's going to give you an idea of maybe but what it's telling you what to expect, what though, to expect. which is like already a form of but liminal dreaming is completely unmapped right now People don't, I mean, I'm right now, I'm telling you a little bit about what you might expect in there. But that doesn't, like those words don't mean any, anything right. to me. So, they won't mean anything until I'm actually in the space. And then I'll like, right. I'll be able to see what you mean or I'll have been able to f- feel what you mean. So there's not yet incursion of right. market space right. and liminal dream space. And I feel it. I feel a little like by introducing it in the way that I am, I feel like, you know, market space catches up pretty quickly. But I feel like right now there's this amazing moment right. where you actually, there's a frontier where where they can't they can't reach you. Right. Do you feel like people are just more available when they're in that state in terms of actually being able to talk to the person and not because, you know, some people sometimes in conversations will be not emotionally available. Yeah. You'll be like talking to them and you'll be they'll be talking and they might have like a lot of ideas and stuff, but they won't share anything that's like vulnerable or they won't take a risk in the conversation. Do you feel like maybe the applications for therapy are just like so obvious that basically just having somebody in the state and then the therapist works with them in the state or I think that could totally so there's yeah. I have an exercise um, my colleague Dr. Ruben Nyman came up with an exercise that's in the book here it's basically two people together so it's great for example for intimacy with a partner right. or with family you know with your kids or close friends or whatever mm-hmm. where you um you go into hypnagogia space together and then you talk to each other kind of through hypnagogia space. That's, and it's that's fascinating. Extremely yeah. intimate. Really, really and, fascinating. I mean, you got to make sure that you're doing it with someone that you don't mind saying some loopy Completely. stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and it's an amazing like unveiling. And also um I have the story in the book where when my aunt was dying, like w- once she was past the ability to have conscious conversation, she went into hypnagogia. She spent a bunch of her dying space in hypnagogia. And because I know how to talk to people in hypnagogia, I was able to communicate with her right. for, you know, weeks after anybody else in the family could, because I know how to talk to somebody in hypnagogia. And in fact, the hospice in which she was dying in Buffalo, and the guy who started it, Dr. Christopher Kerr, or at least who was running it, mm-hmm. talks about how dying people are in hypnagogia. Hmm. And so if you can learn to communicate with somebody in hypnagogia space, then you can actually have those kinds of communications. So I think that the both for, in, for intimacy, for that liminal zone between life and death, for therapy zone, 
the ability to really communicate with somebody and through those spaces where someone is in such a deep location in their own consciousness, yeah, I think has you know great applications. That's yeah, that's really really exciting. So, is there anybody else in the space that you think is doing great work, or you where you really respect what they're doing, or think that what they're doing is like really promising? There are people doing really cool stuff in terms of discovering. So at MIT, there's a suite of products. Um, one of which is called Dormio, D-O-R-M-I-O. And Dormio is basically using technology to, I told you the exercise earlier that Thomas, Thomas Edison and Salvador Dali mm-hmm. developed. So it's using technology toward the same end. Right. Um, to use hypnagogia to mine it for every, for all, because people have been using hypnagogia for famously like the benzene ring was conceived in hypnagogia or like a Louis Agassi figured out how to chip away stone to find fossils in hypnagogia. I mean, it's been a space that scientists and thinkers and philosophers have used for problem solving and creativity for a very long time. So Dormio is basically trying to harness hypnagogia space using technology so that it can actually record what's happening in hypnagogic space toward these ends, like to harness it for all its various purposes. And I think that's, I think that's actually pretty cool technology. Mm-hmm. There is a woman in the UK named Luciana. Because we're always following pe- like people that are working on new like mind brain interfaces and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, just I'm fascinated by just looking at that uh, that stuff. But sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, that's fine. And she's you and she's using she's doing a lot of art projects. Yeah, bringing yeah, people that, that's, that's into the, hypnagogia, just using very basic old school dream machines. That's that's so exciting because that's uh, I think an application where sometimes it can feel like writing a novel in the real world takes so long, but yeah. just experiencing your own narrative takes uh, such a short period of time that I think a lot of people are going to get a lot of like positive therapeutic value out of this just from being able to experience narrative, maybe like uncensored narrative. It's like the first time that a lot of people are going to experience their own uh, story without a filter, maybe, or yeah. like without as much intrusion. Without the without the waking ego right. having a firm grasp. Yeah, without other people having already plastered ads over yeah. all of the mapped space kind of yeah. it's a it's a it's an opportunity to look at things that don't have words yet for them yeah nicely said yeah and yeah. even your own waking mind like the waking ego like the logical planning apollonian has a, has a, often a, a strong hold on us in our day-to-day and you have to get let that part of you get of a break if you can let another and it's it's not necessarily like would it be offensive to say it's like a more feminine side? Oh, I agree no? with you. That's yeah, more it, it side. has it more has more intuitive. Those, I mean, yeah, keep in yeah, mind, definitely. feminine doesn't have to be like it's not again not the binary oh, and, of man and woman. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to be I'm not trying to be sexist. But yeah. I, I am definitely trying to like acknowledge the the energy of that place. And or often something. that's and often yeah. those associations exist, right? The subconscious sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. and the dream. Yeah, um, I, I think that those are archetypes there that have been. Is that like well established? Like there's there's a feminine, there's a masculine, and that's okay. But they're very different. Here's a cool one. Um, so most brainwave states mm-hmm. measured by EEG are marked by one single sine wave. Okay. Right? So right now we're probably in beta. We're going like eight, probably like eight to thirteen waves sure. per second because we're engaged in a conversation. Theta, which is most of your sleep, has two sine waves. Most hit one, but hypnagogia, hypnopnea have nine. Oh, sine wow. waves. And so it's, crazy. it's by far the shortest brainwave 
period. Like we, most of us only, unless you train yourself to stay in it, you only spend minutes a day in this it. This is fascinating. Jennifer, you have to come back now that we've, uh, we've had all these great, uh, <laughs> great conversations. You're gonna have to come back. This is, this is awesome. Okay. Sorry. Continue. So I, what, one of the images that I like to use mm-hmm. is that if you think of subconscious and dream and sleep, as like the the ocean, as the water, right? right, And you think of like waking rational mind as the land, Mm -hmm. right? The place where water crashes into land is super chaotic. That's where all the waves are. Yeah. And that's where you surf. Hmm. So liminal dreaming is kind of like surfing the edge of conscious and unconscious. It's learning to surf the space where you're both dreaming and awake at the same time and like, you know, kind of surf down the middle of them. Do you so, think that's what McKenna was doing when he was, sometimes. he would always be like high on cannabis because when he's doing his talks, he would basically, uh, he would usually he have did anything. Yeah. Right. Matter. He would always have edibles before, like beforehand and smoke like and at the same time, like, was that what he was doing? Like yeah, just going he, around in a state resembling that? He thought so. And he and he yeah. thought and one of the things that he said, because of course he he didn't remember his REM dreams. Right. Because you know, he was he was man smoking a noticed, lot of right. cannabis. <laughs> and he noticed that when he stopped, they began re- Yeah, well, I don't starting think he again, ever stopped. Right? But um, But supposedly so supposedly he was talking to his therapist and she made him stop to prove that he could. Mm. And he did for two weeks. Is that you think it's a real real story? I don't know. But one of the things that he said was he thought that he didn't dream at night as much because he dreamed during the day. Because he's like, I'm dreaming. I'm I'm having these active daydreams where I'm I'm interacting and I'm trying to build the time wave. And like, because he was really excited about having a visual representation of that experience. Right. Like that was the holy grail of like a lot of what he was trying, trying to find. Do you think that that is still a holy grail that people should try to create however possible that we should have a lot of people trying to figure out how to visualize these these places or I mean I think I think some people I think for some people that's rock that, that rocks right. but I mean I one of the Or um, you think it's, it's it's perhaps not that important it's just important to the person that's that's viewing it I think it's important to a lot of people Yeah so I mean I uh, But it's one, perhaps important for other people to view it as well I think so yeah. for some yeah for sure I mean I tend to so when I'm talking about dream work, for example, mm-hmm. you know, I have um, I have a dream group called the Oneronauticum that I've had going for about a decade. Oh, very cool. And people participate in it for all sorts of different reasons, mm-hmm. because they want to meet each other in dream space, because they want to learn to lucid dream, because they're trying to um, stay conscious all the time, because they want out-of-body experiences, whatever it is. Sure. And I think that the the motivations for exploring with it are, there's a multitude of motivations. Mm-hmm. And I think people should follow all of them. I don't tend to privilege one of them right. over the other. So feel free to explore a lot of them. Basically, it's like your your advice. Is, yeah, and, exactly. and then give yourself permission to explore a lot of these places too, just without judgment or without like, yeah, because you. I feel like too, that's if you explore these places with judgment, you'll probably stop, right? You, you would. Depending. I mean, yeah. I mean, also exploring them with judgment you know, like, like, and, just letting, gonna, and letting that be there, right? And letting I'm it, letting come back it to be what present. you said, yeah. whether you're using it for work or play. Right. Right. So if you're using it for work, it can actually be very effective. Sure. You know, I mean, and so if you're like, well, I want, you know, I want to, you know, accomplish I'm trying, this. Exactly. Or, yeah. I want to accomplish this and I want to yep. like use the experience to sort of accomplish this. Wow, that's really cool. That kind of works. Or whether you're using it for play, it's just consciousness exploration. Right. I, w- I want to trip out. I want to go in and see what's happening in my mind. I just want to have these these experiences. Sure. Th- I think that's also, I mean, doing things, just th- doing things for fun is a great reason to do things. And so you're still allowed to do that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Okay. Okay, Joy is medicine. It's just good checking. for you. Yeah, it, it, it is, right? But I feel like that's... um a lot of people might say that, but they might not 
I still have a hard time basically like believing that, believing that it's going to be okay if I had that type of view of the world. Yeah. Doesn't it feel like, or did you ever struggle with that at any point in your life where you felt like if you did embrace that or that things would fall apart or no, you, you didn't worry about that? No, I've spent a lot of my time dreaming. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah, I'm basically like, it, it can't it can't be that. It can't be that risky, right? Um, okay, Jennifer, this has been awesome. There's so many different places we take the conversation, but unfortunately yeah. I have the next interview coming up. Yeah, that's great. Um, thank you so much for stopping no, by. That was fun. We, we, we zoom, we, we yeah. all over the place. Liminal dreaming is out now exploring consciousness at the edges of sleep. Um, I can't wait to, so I've, I've skimmed through the book, but I'm going to read it thoroughly and have you back because this is uh, a topic I love. And thank you for being so open about exploring these like, yeah, different different tangents and things like that. So thank, thank you. you. A pleasure. And one, one of the things about the book is you can read it in any order. You don't, awesome. have to, you don't have to read it cover to cover. Awesome. I like it. Take yeah. the pressure yeah, take the pressure off and uh, <laughs> explore it. And for anyone who does uh, explore these spaces, be sure to keep in touch and let us know what you're thinking and uh, let us know what the map looks like. See you next time. Mission Daily and all of our podcasts are created with love by our team at mission.org. We own and operate a network of podcasts and a brand and story studio designed to accelerate learning. Our clients include companies like Salesforce, they're a customer times five, Twilio, and Katera, who work with us because we produce results. To learn more and get our case studies, check out mission.org slash studios. If you're tired of media and news that promotes fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and if you want an antidote to all that chaos, you're at the right place. Subscribe here and to our daily newsletter at mission.org. Each morning, you'll get a newsletter that will help you start your morning and your day off right. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.